Imagine a football platform where the world's best writers give you the real story about what's going on at United. Imagine no pop-up ads, no clickbait headlines and no ridiculous rumours to be let down by anymore. You don't have to imagine anymore. Meet The Athletic. No ads, no nonsense, just football. Visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash United We Stand to start your 30-day free trial and get 50% off your annual subscription. The Athletic, the new home of football. Hello and welcome to the Let's Unite We Stand podcast. I'm Anthony Shaw. Unfortunately, we're still in lockdown at the moment and we're not stood outside Wembley after beating City in the FA Cup, something which was looking more than likely. There is a bit of movement in terms of football games at the moment, albeit behind closed doors, but it's something which I know today's guest has strong opinions on. So on to today, we're going to have a chat with our very own fanzine editor, Andrew Mitten. Andy, what have you been up to during lockdown? Andrew, that's what my mum calls me. Um, <laughs> I've been working as a, a journalist. I've been doing United We Stand. Journalism's totally changed because normally I would be at 90 football games a season and I've not been to one since I walked out the ground in Lask in Austria on March the, the 12th and flew straight back into a state of emergency and started to worry like everybody else. And a couple of the columns that I do, people have just said, sorry, we've run out of money. Uh, other people who I work for have carried on asking me to do stuff. I've been doing lots of interviews and I've really enjoyed that side of it, speaking to people who I wouldn't normally have the time to speak to, uh, ranging from a player at Brighton and Ove Albion who I've barely heard of but actually cost £20 million pounds, uh, to, to better-known names, former Manchester United players, lots of retrospective stuff on, on anniversaries. Uh, did Turin a few weeks ago. I did Rotterdam last week and that's why we got Mark Hughes on, onto this podcast and Hughes went down well because he didn't normally do a lot of stuff and just been sort of keeping myself busy. I, I've, had, I've had plenty to do but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't worried about uh, the future of, of United We Stand with having no games to sell at. Uh, I'm really pleased that we've had a surge in subscription numbers. We need them if the mag's going to survive and obviously it helps when we have interviews like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in, in the latest issue. Yeah, and you mentioned the last game there, and I know it's something you've spoken about with me. Um, how did you find it behind closed doors? I hated it, Anne. Because you were in the ground, weren't you? I hated it. Didn't like it. Didn't like it. I'm sorry. Just The performance was fine. The players did really well, but the atmosphere wasn't there. I felt sorry for the United fans who travelled there, who'd already set off on the journey before finding out it was going to be behind closed doors hardcore Manchester United fans who you see everywhere ended up either staying in the town, staying in Vienna or stood outside the ground which has got an athletics track around it. That ground has a brilliant atmosphere normally. It should have been Lask's biggest ever moment and I just felt sorry for him. They had injuries which is an aside but it was just flat and there were a couple of hundred sort of executive type fans there and I think I wrote something like it's like a river without water. I understand the reasons why it was done, but that doesn't mean to say that, that I enjoyed it. It felt like a hollow victory because Lask have been really good. It's the greatest ever European run and, well, the going out of Europe, if Europe ever continues. I think at the moment UEFA intend for the competition to, to carry on. I hope it does. I'd still love to see United win the Europa League, go to Gdansk, but the idea of it being lifted in an empty stadium, that just feels sort of fraudulent as well. But you, you know, you, you do accept that they, they might, they may have to be some football behind closed doors. And would you prefer that to football not happening until it's completely safe to have fans in the ground? Probably, it's it's needs must, isn't it? It's if clubs are going to go bust, then it is better than nothing. And it's not the same, but many things aren't the same in life at the moment. I put the, the no. Schalke Dortmund game on last week, and I didn't enjoy it. Just didn't enjoy it, and. I suppose it makes you look at why you go to football and for me it's part of being in a crowd it's seeing your friends I love the game I play the game I like watching the game but I don't really care how Schalke or Dortmund do and I'd been to Dortmund four days before the lockdown I spoke to a director of Schalke who I really like he's he's a fan who gets elected onto the board at Schalke but I just didn't feel anything I'm not bothered if if either team won 2-0 and maybe that's because since Bayern Munich win the Bundesliga every year, so it's not that interesting. If it was United, Tottenham behind closed doors tomorrow, I, w- I would look forward to it. I'd look forward to see how the players do. 
in the different uh, conditions. And then there's a, from my own perspective, a journalist going to be allowed in the ground. Uh, they were in, in Germany. And I understand that it might be six, eight months or even longer before fans are let back, back into the ground. So, yeah, I, I do understand why football is played behind closed doors, but there's also a reason why they're called ghost games in Germany and why they're used as a punishment when fans, fans or clubs do something wrong. It's just not the same. Yeah. I just wanted to touch on one of your other points there as well. Is as a journalist, it must be quite difficult to find content at the moment. It's not for me because I've had to change what I do a little bit because I'm not going to games and writing about games. But I've worked pretty much every single day since the lockdown started, and I've interviewed people I just wouldn't have done. And some of the best interviews I've had, they might not be the biggest names, but Benny McCarthy or Victor Wanyama. They're massive in their own countries and they're sat at home, they're bored and they're relaxed and they're up for talking. And there's quite a lot of people who will talk to you who might otherwise be too busy. I spoke to Holly Gunner for 90 minutes and I'd asked him about an interview earlier on in the season and then I spoke to him after the derby match and said, should we do an interview? I'd love to get you in the fanzine. And he went, yeah. Whenever you want, end of the season, start pre-season. You know, <laughs> normally, I'm I'm planning my pre-season, and obviously events change within within days of that conversation. And I thought we'll try and get him now, and spoke to him for, for ninety minutes. I mean, that's longer than we've ever had with a Manchester United manager. Jose was really good with us, actually. Got nearly an hour with him, and the other United manager was 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 Fergie, and I ballsed up there because I told him I had to, to leave and go and meet my mates. Like an hour in the interview. <laughs> I just said, right, I've got to go now. My mates are waiting for me. And, uh, what a knob. You know, I've got Alex Ferguson there, relaxed, in the team hotel in Trondheim. And I've spoke to him and got a really terrible interview looking back at it. Terrible, terrible. You know, he could have said to me, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to be signing um, you know, whoever the best player in the world. I'm going to be signing Maldini tomorrow. And I would go, right, right, okay. No, not, not push him on it at all. And, I just look back at that and think, what an idiot. Well, you started quite young, didn't you, in journalism? So I can imagine there's a few situations like that that you must look back on. Well, yeah, I mean, I took one of my mates to, to meet Fergie because I didn't realise as a journalist you weren't allowed not to take one of your mates. I just like, this is, <laughs> yeah. this, is, uh, this is Guy, he's a big red. I asked him, how are you doing? There's a lad there with a United shirt on. <laughs> it's just, it just a terrible way. The, the second interview we ever did for the fanzine was with um, Ken Merritt, United Secretary. And we went to Old Trafford and he was there. And I took one of my mates <laughs> just because I didn't want to go by myself. And we got the bus there. And Ken Merritt had cut himself shaving. And my mate was just fascinated watching this blood drip down <laughs> from Ken Merritt's face. It's just so <laughs> immature. And he said to us when we yeah. walked in, all right, I wasn't expecting two people. He said it really politely. We would we were the knobheads, you know. You don't yeah. just turn up with one of your mates, but we were sixteen, seventeen, and then of the other United managers, uh, with Van Hal, I was not speaking to him on the record, but I was getting information um, through sort of back channels. That 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 happens because to do your job as a journalist, you, you need information. And with David Moyes, I probably got regrets with David Moyes. I remember um, when he when he when he sacked, he sent me a text saying. Can you just put a message out to United fans thanking them for the support? And I'm sorry that I couldn't get the results that you're used to. And I got a bit of, a bit of criticism. I mean, sort of 90% of people were like, fair enough, it didn't work out. But people saying, oh, oh we're Moyes. Um, you, you've been speaking to him all season. And the truth was, I wasn't. I actually got to know him a lot better after he left United. And I regret not telling him when he was at United certain things he was doing wrong like his, his media was like really mixed and he looked really nervous and he looked like the job was swallowing him up and I told him this afterwards and he actually said I wish you would have told me so yeah I, that, that was actually going to be one of the questions um, that we came on to actually because I was going to say um, you recently interviewed Solskjaer um, how does he compare to the other five managers you know what, what have you who's been your favourite you must have spoke to them all at some point um, on or off the record who did you find you know, the, the best manager to speak to? It's usually the ones who are most sure of the position. So speaking to Sir Alex, even though I was terrible, he just won the Cup Winners' Cup and he was decent. And then years later, a decade later, speaking to Sir Alex, and 
he knew exactly what he wanted to get across in that interview. And I could have asked him anything, and, and he knew that he had his points. And then at the interview, he, the, the, the tape went off, and he, he said, I saw that, what you wrote, and it was an, an article I'd written which he disagreed with, and I got a bit of a hairdryer off him. And then, just about to respond to him, and he goes, anyway, son, great to see you, do you want a picture? So I felt like I'd been sort of battered verbally, just put on the ropes, bang, 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 bang. And then, <laughs> great, son, ni- nice to see you. I think um, Ollie Gunner, is is definitely getting on top of the job. He hasn't got the bank of credit or the trophies that Fergie had. Uh, I, I, I see someone who's enjoying it, who deals with pressure very well, who's getting there, results are showing that, whose signings have been good, who's had a real few bumps along the way. And I've known him since 96. I helped set his, his website up in 2000 and spent days with him. And I think he's a decent person. I really like him. With Jose, that was interesting because we did him at a time, I think United had won two of the previous 11 games and I think he wanted to get a message across to our readers and our readers tend to be sort of hardcore match-going match fans. And I asked him the first question and he just unloaded with like 600 words and again, it was like Fergie. He just unloads with his thoughts and he gets across exactly what he wants to get across in there. So the manager's are using the interview for themselves as well because communication can be a very powerful tool. And Jose did that. And I think with this Ollie interview, people maybe who've not bought the mag might have seen the headline, I'd rather have a hole in my team than an arsehole. And I don't know for certain, but I suspect he, he planned to say that before the interview. And maybe he did that because he wanted yeah. to show that there's a tough side to him. And... I've written that a few times that he's not he's not a yes man. He's absolutely capable of, of giving a bollocking out. We just see a sort of smileier version in the media and one who's trying to avoid getting tripped up because when you're Manchester United manager, everything you say is magnified. So even in the interview, he made a joke about Jose coming back to Old Trafford and complaining about the dressing rooms being too small, you know, the ones that he'd made too small. And it was a joke, it was light-hearted. But you can see some of the more clickbaity websites, their headlines are like, guess what Jose was angry about? Guess what Jose was moaning about? And you can see how they put a negative spin on things. So when you're Manchester United manager, you've got to be really careful with what you're saying because everything you say, even that whole and arsehole line, I've seen threads on message boards where people are totally disagreeing with the interpretation, whether he should have said it. But in general, I think people like, like the line. And Yeah, we seem to have a manager now, don't we, who deals with it privately. You know, Rather than throwing a player under the bus in his post-match interview, he'll, and I think he wants to get across that he is doing that. Yeah, yeah well, But is. it's away from our eyes, yeah. yeah. He, he is doing that, and... Probably the most sensible way of, of doing it because say that he had an issue with a with a player, what good can come from hammering him publicly? Because that player might well say, "Well, if I'm not wanted here, I'll go," and his price would drop massively because the, he knows the club don't want him, or any club who's about to buy a player uh, would think, "Well, he don't want to be there." The club have got to sell him, so it hardly helps their negotiating position. With that comment, people said to me, "Who do you think he was referring to?" And do you think he was talking about Pogba, they'd say? And I'd say, no, I don't. I think it's a general point. I don't think he specifically means Chris Smalling, because I know he he likes Chris Smalling a lot. But I think um, it it doesn't take a genius to work out that, you know, look at the people who departed. Alexis Sanchez, his spell at United was not a success at all. Was he a positive in the dressing room? From everything I've been told, no, he wasn't. So he's probably best being out of, of the dressing room. But I think... Oli Gunnar's point was a general one. It's all about team spirit and being a team player and having a little bit of ego, but being all about the team. And I think we can see that in the team that he's getting together. Yeah, and one thing I've always wondered is when you you know you're interviewing Manchester United managers, you meet up with them. You know they tell you things on the record. Do, do they do they mention anything else or things that you're not supposed to put in the interview? Well, that's off the record, and that happens all the time in journalism. And that's often with your, your best sources will tell you stuff that they don't want to be quoted for 
for many many reasons and it's trusted sources and you know it, it's a vital part of what I do I'll give you an example um an agent recently spoke to me and, and he told me exactly what's going on behind the scenes at Dortmund. Now, he didn't want his name to the quote because he deals with Dortmund. So what good can come from him helping me? So yeah, it's better for him, who knows Dortmund's inside out, when I don't, to tell me what's going on. And then with the managers, you might say, what's the score with this or that? And there might be a very good reason for them to go off the record. A player might have a personal issue, for example, that it doesn't want broadcasting. So the manager just might say, yeah, there's an issue there, and that's what it was. So that, that helps you complete a jigsaw. As a journalist, you're always trying to complete a jigsaw. And you've got all these pieces, you try to put them into place all the time to find out the truth. And your loyalty should always be to the readers to tell them the truth. And the more information you have, it's almost not what you write, but what you don't write. Because I find as the more I get experience, the more contacts you have, you can't write a lot of the stuff that you're told because people are telling you um, to help you do your job for, for whatever reason. Other people want to go on the record uh, for, 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 for different reasons, but yeah, it's just part of being a journalist. Mark Hughes last week was interesting. He doesn't do anything on Manchester United to the point that a lot of United fans are not having him. They're saying City manager... Loved him as a player, hated what he became. And yet we did that podcast last week and the feedback's been unanimously good for Hughes. So he chose, because I asked him and pushed him, to go on the record and talk about his time at Manchester United. I think it was worth doing for Mark Hughes because uh, it wasn't a disaster his playing career. He had a great career, he had a great time at United and why shouldn't that be celebrated and, and remembered more? So yeah, on, on the record and off the record stuff, is important and then you have the quality of your sources so you might have someone say to you Andy De Gea is definitely going and you think alright you're, you're a good source I trust you um, and then the next day he signs a new contract so you'd look an absolute knob if you wrote that but this happens all the time so it's about working out who your A1 sources are and you might have someone who's right only one in every five five times you might have someone who's got uh, an issue, to, who wants to have a go. Uh, they might have a reason for, for ringing a journalist and telling them. They might have been rejected. And you've always got to try and find out, by speaking to as many people as possible, where the truth lies. And that's a job as a journalist. Well, yeah, you assume if, yeah, if somebody tells you something off the record, there's something in it for them, even if it's off the record, isn't there? Yeah, or they, or they might be helping you. So the example for them is if a manager tells you that there's been an issue with one of his players, it's because he doesn't want you to slaughter his player who's just had a terrible game. And that might be because his wife just left him last night. You know, that might, that might be yeah. a reason or a parent's died or something like that. It gives context to the story. Because could you go yeah. out, you know, if, if both your parents die, could you go out and have a perfect game of football? It's, there's often background reasons because these people are human as well. Yeah. So once you once you discussed with Ollie, then post Fergie, is this the most optimistic you've been? Uh, truthfully, I was probably more optimistic when December seventeen United went to Arsenal, uh, black kit, and battered Arsenal, and it was a week or two before the Manchester derby at Old Trafford, and I thought Pogba was looking really good. You had Rashford, you had Lingard playing well. And I thought United are starting to look really strong here. And then they lost the derby yeah. and, and that sort of evaporated. So I remember writing a piece then saying this is the best post-Fergie United team. They'd just won the, the Super Cup. I'm sorry, the, the Europa League. They'd lost the Super Cup to Real Madrid. Uh, but now, in the optimistic, yeah, but the league table doesn't lie. Manchester United are still fifth. I'm optimistic because I see improvements, because I see good signings, because I see... A manager who I sense knows what he's doing and who's brought Bruno in who's been really good and I'm really encouraged that United are going away to the best teams and beating them I think that's all brilliant and tactically I think he's getting there and knows how to beat the best teams so I absolutely want him to stay manager but I think Sorry, you've yeah. got, there's got to be a genuine, genuine title challenge United can't be fifth in the league no, no I, I assume then you didn't ask Ollie who was signing to improve on that fifth in the league. 
Well, it's how you frame your question, Ant, because if I say, who are you after in the summer? Now, if he turns around and says, I'm after Jaden Sancho, Jack Greedlish, and Jude Bellingham, then he's just killing himself. And I've just put, pulled those names from players who I know Manchester United like. Why, why on earth would it help him to tell me specifically, on the record, who United want to sign? Because if United then go to try and negotiate with Dortmund, for example, they'll say, well, your manager has said publicly that he wants him, so I'm afraid it's going to be €110 million. Euros. <laughs> <laughs> it just, you've got to be wise. It's about negotiation. I remember being at Carrington uh, for his press conference on transfer deadline day, and he looked journalists in the eyes and said, that's it, I think, for, for transfer business. And then later that day, United signed Igalo having failed to sign Josh King from, from Bournemouth. So he's just keeping cards close to his chest, which I think is a wise thing to do. So I didn't even ask him, who are we going to sign? Because it, it would never have elicited an answer. What I asked him was, in which areas are you looking to sign? And he's looking at, he's, set, he's happy with the defence. So I'd rather get them indications. But if you want absolute, we are signing Jadon Sancho on June the 4th at 11am. I'm sorry, you're not getting that from anywhere. There's plenty of spurious websites will deal in that sort of stuff, but I don't. Yeah, no problem. Next thing I wanted to go on was the Hughes interview, which you were um, you were briefly talking about. How did you find him? And one thing that I thought is, is I noted that the um, podcast was mainly about Rotterdam. I assume that that was the, the subject area that um, was decided on, agreed upon before. Yeah, so Mark Hughes is basically the only modern Manchester United player I've not interviewed, and he doesn't do much media. So the background story is, I don't just ring him up because I didn't even have his number and say, can I do an interview with you? I felt he'd be a good interview for a long time. And we have a mutual friend, and my friend said, um, write this to Sparky, uh, Sparky's a good guy, Sparky's misunderstood, and write to him, here's his email. And I did that two months ago and said you should do an interview and didn't reply. So there you go. As a journalist, you're knocking on doors all the time. And I had his number, but yeah. I thought I'd try with an email. So with Van Hall, I got a reply a couple of weeks ago saying... <laughs> saying Please let Ed Woodward and Solskjaer do their job. <laughs> so it's like it's like bollocking me in an interview in an email, <laughs> having told me he'd speak to me, you know. But from yeah. what we know about Van Aal, this is his personality. And so with Hughes, 14th of May, I think it's the anniversary of Rotterdam tomorrow. So I just sent him a text, say, 10 minutes tomorrow. We only speak about Rotterdam. And he replied, right, let's do it. So that's how it came about. Brilliant. And that 10 minutes, as you heard, turned into 35 minutes. Because the other part of that podcast was going to be, if we had him for 10 minutes, I was going to get fans who were there to give their memories of Rotterdam. So at the end of it, I think that Mark Hughes probably enjoyed doing it. And I think there might be a case for doing more interviews with him where he talks about other areas of his life, his job. And Mark Hughes wants to go back into football management. It's in his interest to speak to the media. And I say that to a lot of the former players, and some of them are a massive, massive Manchester United stars who might want to go into management. And I say, you've got to do interviews. You can't just expect someone to guess your phone number and get in touch with you and offer you to do the job. You've got to get your name out there. And they've gone from an environment where... They might be mistrusting the media. They might not like the media. They might have been sheltered from the media by, by Sir Alex, for example. And suddenly they've got to cultivate their own relationships with the media and speak to journalists who they trust, having previously been stung by the media, and get their message out there. Because you're going to have to speak to the media if you're a football manager. And then you have others. Yeah. And that Sometimes as being an outsider, not so much in, in United stuff, but... I remember doing Luis Enrique and I emailed him in Spanish and he replied to me in English and said, come to my house. And I, I got 90 minutes of brilliance with him. 
and he said, I don't like doing Spanish media because if I do one, I feel like I've got to do the other. And so I benefited there being the outsider. Whereas other yeah. people might, and you know, if Lakeep writes a social, they might get an interview because he doesn't feel that he has to do other people as well. Yeah, definitely. So just on, on the topic of um, news, one thing I wanted to ask you actually was um, how some of our former legends like in Schmeichel and you split opinion. I think it's fair to say that they split opinion now and they get quite a lot, quite a bit, of, you know, a bit of grief on social media and the like. Why do you think that is? It's, it's become fairly normal, hasn't it? Football fans are tribal. Paul Ince was a great player for Manchester United. Schmeichel was one of the greatest goalkeepers at the club, but there's more than what they do on the pitch. I thought Ince's interview in 2017 with United East Ham was really, really interesting, where he basically said, Fergie told me he was selling me. What do you want me to do? He told me he'd accepted a bid, and then he went back on his word, when I'd already spoken to him at Milan. And that sheds a completely different light on things. And then he says, I'm in Milan. I get offered a job going to Liverpool. I'm, I'd been living in the Northwest. Liverpool were a big club. I went there, I did my best. Played against United. Spent the whole night getting shit off United fans. Scored. What do you want me to do? Go and shake hands with all of them. And, then, and that just puts a different light on things. With Ince, yeah, and, and, I, I don't yeah. think Ince is helping himself at the moment, by the way. Because he's yeah. he's allowing himself, he's allowing his name to be put onto to columns, which he won't be writing, but he'll be he'll be speaking to the person who writes him, which is seen as like a battering ram for Solskjaer, and he's coming across like a bit of a prick, and he's probably a bit frustrated because he's not had the breaks in management that he's wanted, but there's there's always two sides to it, and football fans are so tribal, and the problem is. Ferguson's wrote history. The victor writes history. And United fans will back him, warts and all, and there are many warts, whereas Paul Ince is the pantomime villain, or Peter Schmeichel does a cartwheel celebrating in the Manchester derby. I'd never do that, but then I'm a United fan. Peter Schmeichel's not a United fan. He's from Denmark. <laughs> so people don't always see that... These are just professionals. They're just doing the job. I remember as well as a kid watching News and Schmeichel come back and play against United and being really surprised at how much they wanted to win. You know, like in terms of aggression and the way they were tackling and that sort of thing. But that made them the players they were, didn't totally. it? Totally. For totally. United as well. Yeah. So we've benefited from that as United fans for years. You can't complain if they move to another club and other fans benefit from it. Hughes had a great career. Hughes played until he was 39. Ince was a world-class yeah. midfielder. Schmeichel was a... I think with Schmeichel, a little bit of his personality. And I'll be honest, I never really warmed to him when he, when he played as a journalist, even though he was a great player. I just didn't. But then people say goalkeepers are a little bit odd. And there's a bit <laughs> of that in there. And what, what the main thing was that he was a great goalkeeper for United. He did. Personality-wise, nah. would I like to go for a pint with him? Probably not. But then you don't need to. I'm not his mate. And fans, you know, I, I feel like if I put an interview out now with a popular player, people are like, oh, this is great, great, great article. And it might not even be a great article. But people like the fact of the name behind it. Or you could do an interview, for example, with Ed Woodward, who's unpopular, and people will completely ignore the actual interview and because they don't like the, the interview subject, will form their opinion about it. Well, I'm sorry, as a journalist, I can't, can't work within those parameters. I'm not going to stop doing... I'm not going to only interview people who, who are popular because that stops being journalism. Do you want me to only speak to people who, who people like and push their version of history because it's the one you want and nod along with? Life's not that simple. No. Um, we, we, we recently put a few... Um Asked for a few questions on the United We Stand message board, so I've got a few of them for you now. Um, and I thought one was really interesting, actually, about football and the coronavirus. And do you think anybody will benefit from this indirectly? Because, I mean, United have been tra trying to get Harry Maguire out of Leicester for two and a half years or something, and they couldn't because Leicester have got so much money and don't need it. Do you think that'll change now? United could benefit, although they're burning through 25 million a month, so they haven't benefited so far. Players who 
play well on training grounds might benefit in behind closed doors games. I thought it was really interesting, James Scowcroft, a few weeks ago on this podcast, saying he'd prefer it behind closed doors because he wouldn't have knobhead shouting yeah. at him. I thought, I thought it was very honest of him to say that. And United may benefit because other clubs are in a weaker financial position. Not that that's particularly doesn't feel right, but that might be the reality of it. Who else can benefit? I don't know. Someone who makes masks. Someone's the someone who supplies disinfectants to training grounds. It's the, the, I think more people will lose out of this. Um, I'll be interested though to see does does home still retain its advantage? Do referees alter their decisions slightly? I think football's become a lot more uniform in the last fifteen years. You know, you're not going away to a ground thinking that's got a notorious pitch because it's on a slope or it's a mud bath or it's really thin. Most of the pitches are pretty much the same now. You've seen that more in European football where results in the 70s and 80s at Eastern European games away were fluctuated far more than they might do now. And there's been a lot of uniformity. So all things being equal, um, players should be playing with, with less pressure um, they're not being substituted to a chorus of boos. Maybe they won't be playing up to the referees as, as much because they've not got the crowd behind them. There's, there's got to be a reason why teams win more home games than away games, and I'll be really interested in that side of it. But overall, no, I think football will will lose from this, and especially the fans. What about English games. football? Um, because I'm I'm thinking along the lines of you know the financial plights of Barcelona, for example. But Barca. I've written for a year now that Barca have got financial issues, and they have, and that's becoming more of a story now. Uh, English football is a more top level, is a more robust business model, I think, but it's still only a few months away from having the problems that, that we're having now. And football isn't about the Premier League, it's about every league. I love watching non league football, and there's clubs lower down who are really struggling. and they yeah. live sort of perpetually really struggling, but uh, it's a bigger challenge for Oldham Athletic or Altrincham than it might be for, for Manchester United. Yeah, so we'll, we'll carry on with the questions off the um, message board. So, first one was, do you think it would be possible to get a David Beckham interview for United We Stand? Yeah, I think it would be, but look at... There's a, there's a lot of hoops to jump through with Beckham, and when he does media, it tends to be that there's something in it for him. He tends to do the sort of high-end fashion magazines, the prestige titles. You know, a fanzine can be really earthy and credible to someone who wants to get the message across in it. Um, I, I saw him in 2017. I was with him for a couple of hours. I didn't ask him for an interview. Maybe if I would have been a better journalist, I would have done, but he, he was, he, he, I didn't want to mire him. Uh, he gave me shit my choice of music because I was putting music on a on like a playlist and I said told him to where to go <laughs> I had a bit of an <laughs> argument <laughs> who didn't he like she had seven no, my, I had a loads of good Manchester tunes on uh, because someone from Manchester who played for United asked me to do that <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Beckham's like what is this shit and you know passed me his phone to put like loads of stuff on from America so yeah, cheeky fucker. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think he'd be good if he. Um, I think Beckham could be good in a way that Mark Hughes was good, and I, w- I would like to yeah. do him. Uh, I just think you've got to, you've got to get the real Beckham there, and I think there's yeah. there's like a PR Beckham now, and then there's the real Beckham, and but yeah, I, th- I think he'd be good. It's just we're probably not his priority when he's got some of the world's biggest outlets want, wanting stuff from him. Yeah, I know you was writing a book um, for Evera. Is there any update on that? Because it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it's uh, finished and it's up to Patrice when it when it comes out. And that's all I can really say on that at the moment. It's, uh, it's, Patrice has got a great life story, and uh, yeah, be interesting what he what he does now with his career. Because I know there's times where he's, he's wanted to go into management or be a sporting director, and uh, I spent a lot of time with him in 15, 16, 17. 18, he's got a really, really good um, life story. So let's see, that's out of my hands. Some, sometimes it's great doing a fanzine because we can do whatever we want, but sometimes with my job for the different outlets I work for, 
the decisions are out of my hands. Yeah. Um, in terms of the league, then, and where we go from here, what what do you what chances do you think it's got to be cancelled, or do you think it'll just be behind closed doors now? It's it's all pointing towards a return behind closed doors mid June. That might not happen, but I don't think it'll be cancelled. But that's just because I'm I'm reading what other journalists are writing every day, and some journalists are right on top of the story. They're getting told the behind-the-scenes stuff. They're getting briefed off the record, and the upshot is that it's pointing towards a, a resumption. And I think the league should be completed. I know a lot of United fans think it should be null and voided now, and that Liverpool winning it is not at all a factor in that, that thinking. But I'd still like United to win the FA Cup, win the Europa League, get into the top four. But then I think of the step on from that and it being played behind closed stadiums. It's a fuck-up, isn't it? But it's the same for everybody. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that, that's all the questions from the board, um, the ones that I've picked out anyway, that that are that we are able to read out. A few of them were a bit... Um, one of them involved me, which we weren't having as well. Well, what was the so. one for you? What was the one question <laughs> was, uh, for you? I should ask you. It's normally me asking no, the questions on this both. podcast, isn't it? It's weird that I'm being asked them, but you know, we'll try it. What was the one for you? The, the question was, what is the one thing that you know about the other that if his wife, wife found out listening to this podcast, he'd definitely get divorced or would at least <laughs> have to spend a week in so, in the solitary spare room? Jesus. <laughs> Far too much. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah. that's up and tailed we once in Oslo, didn't I? So that, that might be one of them. Yeah, like that. I mean, that's funny. That's just stupid. That was needs must. You know? Yeah, I once top and tailed with Steve Black in um, Tokyo in '97. It was that expensive. We, the only hotel we could afford had one bed in it, a single bed in it. But well, yeah, that, 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 that's how it was. I've done it twice in my life. I've forgotten that I've done it with you. Well, there you go. <laughs> the other one's um, mainly football stuff. I mean, it says the best Man United combo since Fergie retired. I think that's a bit of an hard one, really. What, as in? On the spot, obviously. What, as in? Hard to remember every player since then, isn't it? So, best 11 since Fergie retired. Oh, best retired. 11 since he retired, off the top of my head. Yeah. Well, yeah. De Gea's the easiest one there, because he's been the best player yeah. since he retired. Um, Luke Shaw, well, he's missed that much time at left-back, hasn't he? Jesus. So, yeah, it could be Daley Blind there, yeah. Mm, Blind had some... Some really good games there. I remember Blind marking Lukaku out of a game, but I think he was playing centre half then. Very good footballer, technically um, Blind. Uh, yeah, we Jesus. messed him about positionally quite a lot, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. which you know he, he helped he helped the team there, didn't he? I probably have um, Wambasaka from this season because Valencia had a couple of really good seasons when he dropped back. Uh, so yeah. him at right back, the two central defenders, I would have. Maguire and Evans Smalling Smalling had some decent seasons didn't he it's a difficult one yeah I think I don't think any I think Smalling Evans and Jones have never had those 50 game seasons that you need to become a great Manchester United right back whether it's non-selection or or injury and Maguire is now the captain I think he's the right captain I think if him and Tuanza become, become the central partnership. I think that's the, the, the main doubt in the United team. I don't think Lindelof's had a brilliant season. And then at left-back, you've got Shaw. I've, I've felt five times that he's leaving the club and then he comes back and gets player of the year. Um, mid, yeah. Midfield. Jeez. Um, an informed Pogba. I don't think Matic has played enough, enough matches. Uh, it's really he had hard. a good good two seasons though. It, definitely first season, I thought oh, he did brilliant. well, Matic, and we he's played brilliant. him. We never dropped him, did we? We never gave him a rest ever. He's brilliant. He's, I don't yeah. think Fred's quite done enough to to earn a place in Manchester United, two thousand and thirteen to two thousand and twenty. I think you'd have Rashford yeah. up front. I'm going to miss someone really obvious out here, aren't I? Who's retired? Um, Skulls had retired. <laughs> Giggs had retired. Uh, so it's um, Lingard. Giggs no. played the Moyes season, didn't he? Yeah, he played the Moyes yeah. season, but is he going to earn a place in this prestigious team that hasn't come close to winning a league title? <laughs> Probably not. Lingard. It's been grim, hasn't it? Yeah. No, yeah, it has. It has been um, grim. 
the best paid players have failed. Schweinsteiger, no. Sanchez, no. Schneiderlin, no. Um, Rojo, no. You can pick them all out for individual games, every single one of them. Uh, so it's a process of elimination. Who else could we have in midfield? You can help me out here. Who else have we got? Um, Dan James had a decent I think you've got to have Rooney on season. you. Rooney. Yeah. Uh, Ro- Rooney, in the first two thirds of the Moyes season, was probably the best United player I've seen in the post-Ferguson era. He was that influential in the team. You know, after he got over the ump of not being allowed to go. Yeah, and yeah, stayed. yeah. I thought he was absolutely brilliant up until the sort of February, March. So what were Rooney and Rashford up front? Yeah, Rooney and, and Rashford up front. And then, um, we've got. I don't think McTominay's not played enough games in there. Don't think. I yeah. think I'd go with Matic, me. I think he's um, yeah. a reliable player here. Yeah. But the fact we're not just saying keen but goal shows that these are the areas of the team where. It's, it has been in doubt, although I'm feeling a bit more certain about it than I have been. What about on the left, Martial? Even then, you know, it's been, it depends, been difficult, hasn't it? It depends what Mum for asking the question, doesn't it? Because there's times when he's really yeah. good and others where he's, he's, he's inconsistent. Um, yeah. Who else? You've got to have Di Maria in there. <laughs> Joke. <laughs> I, mean, I was so excited yeah. when he signed because I'd seen he was a brilliant player for Real Madrid. Just didn't happen at all. Uh, who else have we had? Darmian. No, he didn't really work out, did he? Uh, Memphis Depay, we had, didn't we? I mean, he's become a great player for Leon. He's, <laughs> he's, a, he's a captain yeah. of Leon. He's a, but at Manchester United, no. I, I think all of these signings that have failed as well. It says it says more about us than it does them as well because we weren't we weren't a good we weren't a good place to go. We haven't been a good place to go, have we, for players? No. And I feel that's changing now, but I think even when you look at Memphis Depay, it was like he didn't. I think we played him for like the first twenty games, a young lad from a, the Dutch league, and then as soon as he loses a bit of form, we played him once every three months. So yeah, you know we've we've not been a great club for young players, have we at all? And if if um, Ferguson had signed Darmian, he probably would have had a better career than he ended up having because he's he was Ferguson's man who was brought in there. Um, Matter, I suppose, he came in in January 14 and I suppose he would get into that 11. He's been a good player. Has he been a great, great player? Not really, but really nice person. I thought his book was underwhelming, yeah, I think... if I'm honest. I thought his autobiography was really disappointing. <laughs> I did. It just, you know, it's, it's such a nice guy that maybe really nice people don't make great autobiographies, but that's just my opinion. I can never understand how, like, you, you think you'd get at least one in five that's half decent, but. On, on the whole, football autobiographies are terrible, aren't they? Yeah, it depends. That's all to do with if you've got a good publisher and you've got a good ghostwriter and you've got high levels, the, the, the standards tend to be much higher than if it's someone who's not using a good ghostwriter and not using a good, a good publisher. It's like the difference between a semi-professional footballer and a professional footballer. And everyone thinks you've got a story, but... They don't realise that some of their stories are really boring. But, um, and then another yeah. thing is when they tell the story while they're still playing, they're frightened of upsetting people who they're still contracted to work with every single day. Which other players post-Fergie? Uh, Andreas Pereira, no, he wouldn't get in. He's, <laughs> he's become a bit of a scapegoat for a lot of fans. Just thinking back to sort of 14, 15, the players there who, who we've missed out. I mean, Van Persie. We missed Ashley Young as well. We missed yeah. Ashley Young out, didn't we? I think he should get a role. Maybe, yeah. Falcao, would, maybe. Falcao wouldn't get in it. Maybe Fellaini's worth a place in that team. Yeah, yeah. Definitely one of Michael, Michael Carrick, you know, the early early years. But there's, there's so many players. The turnover has been incredible. Janazai, Blackett, Raphael, Hernandez, Welbeck, Anderson. There's just millions of them who've been and, yeah, been yeah. and gone. Yeah, and it just shows that you know our our hit rate is very low since then. Yeah, but I'm I'm pleased under Solskjaer it seems to be better. Yeah, he's made, he's made four signings. Um, just a few. They've all been good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just a few general ones before we go. Um, what you asked the other lads on the podcast? Who's your player of the season? For this season, uh, Maguire or Wamba Saka. Um, 
or Fred. If Fred, if Fred storms it at the end, then Fred from December onwards could sneak it. Yeah. Ask, ask me at the end of the season. But they, they, they would be the three, I think. Um, yeah, what, what about moment of the season? Moment of this season, the last home game at Tomini's goal was brilliant. I know other people have said that on this podcast. I really like going to Belgrade. Beautiful few days there, really good atmosphere. The one positive with the Europa League is that it, it brings up the, these trips. Rashford's free kick at Chelsea in the League Cup was like a wow moment. Um, probably better than all of them would be City away the first first 25 minutes. I'm thinking, am I watching Manchester United here? Because I, I expected <laughs> the team to lose. And then United absolutely blitzed them. And then after the game, as a journalist, Fred comes through, comes just straight to me for a chat in a game he'd been man of the match in and suffered racist abuse. So you, you got the story there. And then I walk into the press conference and Ollie comes behind me and just says, did you enjoy that? Winks at me. And then uh, I ask him the first question uh, about the game and there's just this big smile and I think, you know, you're blurring the lines here between being a fan and a journalist. <laughs> but I didn't give a shit because it was, it was really, really good. I think, I think those would be... Because that... Chelsea 4-0 at the start of the season didn't feel like a 4-0. Are you going to ask me low points? Um, yeah, we'll get on to that. I just wanted to touch on that McTominay one, the goal, because um, somebody sat next to me, a friend of a friend who I, I don't really know, and all the way throughout the, the game, they went back to work on the Monday and told my friend, God, that guy next to you is really miserable. He didn't seem to enjoy a minute of that until McTominay <laughs> scored. So it just shows football, doesn't it? You know, you... you you're so tense, even though your team are winning. And then that, that McTominay moment for me, it was just a, you knew you'd won. So it was a complete, you know, explosion of delight, really, because you, you, you've been nervous all the way up until that moment, you know, the ball at the net at that moment, definitely. So I, I'm, I'm going with that one, definitely. People take different things from the games. A lot of people, they might have had a few beers. They've not actually followed closely what, what had happened. I'll never forget 2009 European Cup final. No internets on phones, no TV. 20,000 United fans come out the ground. It's like midnight, it's one o'clock, it's two o'clock. And at 6am, I was in Roma Termini Station. There were hundreds of United fans about. And most of them didn't have a clue about the game. They, they, they actually, like, they didn't know any details. They knew the result. <laughs> but they, they, they knew nothing. They, oh, I didn't realise yeah. he went off. Didn't realise he'd <laughs> scored. But, but, but Messi scored one of the great goals. Oh, I didn't realise it was him. So, two hours later, where information had been traded, thought he had a good game, and I thought that Messi was really good, how he jumped up and outwitted Ferdinand, and I'm thinking, this, is, this just shows the spread of information, because yeah, if yeah. I grilled you after the game, you won't fucking remember any of it. <laughs> Definitely not, no. Okay, next one then, low point of the season. Uh, what about Newcastle away that defeat was pretty horrendous I think that October I, I thought there's a chance Ollie might not see out the, the month I thought if, he, if he'd lost at Norwich away I thought pressure would have been absolutely huge on him um, yeah. I, and something I, I mentioned to Ollie was four league wins by the start of December that, I mean that wasn't just nowhere near good enough at all um, losing to Liverpool's obviously always bad. Um, Burnley at home, I mean that, that was a stinking result, wasn't it? Uh, Arsenal away, I yeah. thought it was horrendous. New Year's, New Year's Day came out the ground there. Well, the feelings were on the podcast. And then just frustration, like Southampton away, it was a draw. Because that Palace game, it was, it was a freak at home. But Southampton away, I thought United played really well in the first half. Just couldn't, couldn't capitalise on it. At all, I remember Alkmaar away. Um, it was nil nil. It was just a shit, shit, shit game. And coming out of that, thinking, where on earth is this this team going? Um, but it was good. We've been to Kazakhstan. We've been to Belgrade. Been to to Lask and Bruges. Bruges was a beautiful city. 
And then the sort of fan low points, the, the, the police being totally ineffective in, in Rainy Bruges. But there's been other good points. I, I'm, I was encouraged, I've been encouraged by the atmosphere at the games, by the, the return of, of the safe standing trials. The TRA has been decent as well in the Stratford end. So there's been a lot of positives. And I, th- I think um, it's, it's funny you mentioned that October, really, because I think that was the most difficult time to be a Red and defend yeah. Olive because, you know, it, it's a tough balance, isn't it, between looking at the league table and thinking, God, this is nowhere near good enough. But at the same time, it was never going to be plain sailing and challenging for the league, was it? It wasn't, but results results set the mood. And I think in the space of a, a few weeks, United had lost at West Ham, always terrible at West Ham, drawn at home to Rochdale. I mean... Drawing it home to Rochdale is not good enough, whichever way you look at it. And then, yeah. I remember Arsenal at home being a big game. Then it was the Alkmaar, then it was the Newcastle. And then I remember being really pleased because United had almost beaten Liverpool, which shows how far the team had, had fallen. But I actually thought there was a lot of encouraging signs in that game, the way the team set up. And they had the measure of the best team in the world, which Liverpool are, unfortunately. Yeah. No, thanks, Andy. We'll wrap that up then now. Am I allowed to say anything on this podcast about <laughs> cheers for everyone who's bought the mag and uh, supported it and we'll, we'll do more mail-outs. Well, you're mailing them out, aren't you, from now on? You're mailing these issues yeah, out. Yeah, mailing them out. So if you order... I go to the post office every other day, yeah. So if you PayPal the money, three ninety nine for UK. All the info's on my, my Twitter, but we'll carry on sending out for the next week or so or if, if you subscribe to the mag or just want a single issue, we can do that. And, uh, Thanks for having me, Ant. No worries. And thank you to everybody that listened. Cheers. Goodbye. This podcast is brought to you in association with The Athletic. They had some really good United stories on there in the last week. The Luke Chadwick story by Danny Taylor was on there. And there was a big story tracking down the jibber, Carl Power, long-form journalism. And there's stuff on there every single day. If you'd like to trial using The Athletic, you can do so for 90 days and if you go to theathletic.com forward slash UK free trial that's theathletic.com forward slash UK free trial UK F-R-E-E T-R-I-A-L then you can access it 